The following message is from Grace City Church in Ottawa. For more information, please visit gracecity.ca. Okay, um, if you have a Bible with you, feel free to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue our series this morning on the Lord's Prayer. Perhaps it would be even better called or better understood by us as the disciples' prayer, because it's actually Jesus teaching his disciples, teaching his followers how to pray. This prayer is found in Matthew's gospel. It's also found in Luke. Uh, We've mostly been looking at it in Matthew's gospel. That's what I'm going to do here this morning. So this is Matthew chapter 6. It starts at verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This morning as we're continuing this series, we're looking at the third petition that we find in this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And the third petition is, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this morning, our teaching this morning is on the will of God. Small topic, right? Teaching on the will of God. Some of you have met my friend Neville, who's visiting from England. I I got in touch with Neville a while ago and said, Neville, um, when you're with us, could you please teach on the will of God? And he said, I don't think I'm available. I said, Neville, I've not even given you the date yet. What do you mean you're you're not available? He said, well, what's the date going to be? I said, well, it's going to be October 16th. He said, yeah, I'm not available to preach on that Sunday. So I get to preach to you this morning on the will of God. Small topic. No, not a small topic. It's huge. It's huge. This is something that, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, this is something that often is on our mind. We, we want to know the will of God, don't we? It's a big thing. It's a big thing in our lives. At least I, I hope your thoughts around the will of God are, are a big thing in your life. I would certainly hope so. I know that many times these are things that we're trying to figure out. What, what's God's will for my life? Well, before we go any further, just to satisfy the, the, the theologians in the room, when we talk about the will of God, there are usually two types that we talk about, the the secretive will of God and and the declared, the revealed word of God, okay? Uh, The secretive will of God is things that are not known to us, things that God has decreed, but things that are not known to us. But the revealed will of God, obviously things that God has chosen to reveal to us through his word and through scripture, and that's what I'm focusing on here this morning, the revealed will will of God. This is what Jesus is speaking about in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me ask you, if you could sum up what the will of God looks like, if you could sum up what the will of God looks like with one word, what do you think that word might be? What do you think that word might be? Some of us might say heaven. Sure, sure. I mean, Jesus mentions heaven, doesn't he? He mentions it here in the Lord's Prayer. Surely, if we were to sum up the will of God in one word, it would be it would be heaven. Well, that, that would be a good word. That's where the will of God is carried out perfectly, and we're going to look at that in a few minutes. But if there's one word that I think accurately describes what the will of God looks like, the, the, the word that I would choose wouldn't first be heaven. It would actually uh, be this word, and this might surprise you a little bit, but the word is obedience. The word is obedience. What does the revealed will of God look like in our lives and here on earth? What does it look like? It looks like obedience. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Are you thinking, ah, we get nervous around this word because we're called Grace City Church, 
right? So some of you are thinking, okay, I knew it. I, I, I knew the pastor is going to want to talk about obedience. I, I've kind of been lured here, you know, it's Grace City Church, and they've got good coffee at the back of the room, and they meet in this really cool venue, and the pastor, I mean, he's this guy that clearly goes to the gym a lot, and, um, you know, and, but I've been, and now that I'm here, now that I'm here, you, some of you laughed way too hard in that moment. Can I just point that out? Um, now that I'm here, you want to talk to me about obedience. I, I knew it. You don't care about grace. You want to tell me. No, ha- hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Yes, we are called Grace City Church. That, 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 the gospel of grace is something that we prize deeply in the life of this church. But please don't for a minute think that that means that we don't care about obedience. Or, or further than that, that God doesn't care about obedience because God cares deeply about obedience. Grace without obedience is a real misunderstanding and misapplication of grace. Paul speaks about this in his letters in the New Testament because that's something that was happening even in the early church. People were like, no, obedience, it doesn't matter. We get to, we get to do whatever we want so that grace might abound. It just shows people more about grace. No, 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 no. That's, that's foolishness. I'm not going to try to make a big deal about grace by going on being disobedient. That, 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 that doesn't make sense. The way that the Bible speaks about grace is that it is an empowering grace. Grace helps us. Grace teaches us to say no. So if we truly do prize grace in the life of our church, we also then need to be serious about obedience because God is serious about obedience. His Word is serious about obedience. We don't need to get nervous around these things. These aren't things that are contrasting with the gospel of grace. No, no, far from it, far from it. Obedience is extremely important to God, and I doubt that that's news, you know, really to any of us. I doubt that that's really shocking. Some of you may be thinking, well, that's the very thing that's that's the problem with religion. That's the very thing that's the problem with religion with the church, is all this talk about obedience and a God who, who, who desires or even requires obedience from his people. So we, we, we get into all these rules and that's where things really go wrong. That, that's, it's all this talk around obedience that's actually the problem here. Well, no, again, hang, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. God is serious about obedience because he is a holy God. He is a holy God in all that he is, in all that he does. He is perfectly holy. And if we want to have a relationship with this holy God, well, we then need to take holiness seriously ourselves. So, of course, we have to pay attention to obedience. We can't just discount it. We can't just brush it aside saying, well, surely we can just do anything that we want. Obedience then, and remember the way that we're looking at obedience this morning is seeing obedience as the will of God perfectly shown. It's, it's obedience, obedience to what God has said, obedience to what God wants. It should matter to us, of course. Now, there are many reasons why, but I quickly want to look at two. The first is this, keeping in mind about what we've already learned in this series about how Jesus taught us to pray. Remember, two weeks ago, the teaching was on thy kingdom come. Jesus taught us to pray that. God, your your kingdom come. It's useless to pray for God's kingdom to come, but not to care about the will of the king. 
You with me? It's, it's, it's useless. It doesn't make sense to pray, God, your kingdom come, but then to not care about the will of that king. We're supposed to care deeply about the will of God. Obedience to him should be a hallmark of, of each of our lives, but we don't have to be very far into this book to see that the human story is not one of faithful obedience. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve, as they're in that perfect garden and, and they rebel, they believe a lie, the one command that God gave them not to eat of the fruit of one tree, and they go and they do that. They believe a lie, that they would be able to see things and understand things just like God. They believe this lie. They eat of this fruit. They're disobedient. And look at what part of what, look at part of what God says to them in response to that. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, God says to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and don't get hung up on that, God's not trying to pick on Eve here. He's saying, look, you've both gone wrong on this. You've both been disobedient in this, and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You've eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you. I gave you a command. I told you what my revealed will was. And you've broken that. You've broken that. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. What's God saying here is that when we step outside of God's revealed will, the things that he has made clear to us, when we step outside of that, it causes us and those around us pain. This is really important when it comes to understanding God's law. This is really important when it comes to understanding obedience is that God is a loving Father. He wants good for His children. These aren't just rules and commands just for the sake of rules and commands. It's out of love. It's because He cares about you. Those of you that have the privilege of being parents right now, you know the very thing I'm talking about with your children, don't you? The things that you say to them, do this and do not do that. Well, it's not just because you're trying to restrict all of their freedoms. It's because you love them. It's because you want them to be safe. It's because you care for them. Now, of course, as parents here in this room, we don't do that perfectly, do we? Our, our, our rules and our decrees, our, our revealed will is so horribly flawed, but that's not the case with God. It's not the case with God, but that Father's heart is there, and it's there perfectly. It is there perfectly. So we know the human story right there from Genesis chapter 3 is that we step outside of God's revealed will. We're disobedient to it. In fact, in Exodus chapter 16, this is a, uh, something is said uh, by God through Moses to his people, to the Israelites, that is a, a common refrain that is said by God to his people. In Exodus 16, 28, God says, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws. This is the story in the garden. This is the story in the story of Exodus and God's people. This is the story as we read throughout the kings of the Old Testament and all the different rulers. Friends, this is our story. That's why it's written in here. It's not just so that we look at those people and go, well, if I was there, I would have done it differently. No, you would not have. No, I would not have. This is the human story. We step outside of God's commands. We step outside of God's revealed will for us that he has revealed through his word. It's interesting in Exodus chapter 16, isn't it? God's saying that to his people. He's saying it to his people. 
We might try to pick on the non-Christians. Oh, well, God, surely God would say to those evil non-Christians. No, 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 that's not, not, that's not what's happened. God's saying this to his people. How long? How long are you going to ignore my commands and my laws? This is our story as well. But we say, but we're not under law. We're not under law. We're, we're under grace. And believe me, I love the grace of God. I had the privilege of naming this church when it started in our living room. Grace City Church. Grace, grace, grace. I love it. Grace is the middle name of our first daughter. Zara Grace Crosby. We love the grace of God. So many of you, we love the grace of God. We think, well, we're under law, we're, we're under grace, so these, all, these, all this talk about, about commandments and everything, it, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter because Jesus taught us to pray for God's will to come on earth as it is in heaven, and what does God's will look like? It looks like obedience. It looks like holiness. And it's here that we think, well, if that's true, then, then as I read through his commands, as I read through the books of the law here in the Old Testament, I look at what, okay, if this is what holiness looks like, then I don't have a chance. Nobody has a chance. And that's where grace comes in and says, exactly, exactly, that's the point. You don't have a chance of keeping this on your own. None. None can do it. Not one of us here in this room, even on our best of days, can do it. We don't have a chance at keeping this law, at keeping all of God's command, of living out God's revealed will perfectly. We cannot do it. Which brings us to the second reason why the will of God should matter to us, and it's this. It's because it matters greatly to Jesus. The will of God matters greatly to Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus says, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was and is completely consumed by the will of his Father. It was the very thing that Jesus sought after. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is not trying to, to take us somewhere that he has not gone himself. He's not trying to put in us this great desire for the will of God on earth as it is in heaven without him desiring it himself. Jesus says, no, this is the very thing that I am about. This is my own will. My, my own will is completely wrapped up in the will of him who sent me. This is about the Father's will. And he teaches us to pray. Jesus, the one who teaches us to pray, thy will be, to, be done, is the one who said, I seek the will of the one who sent me and the one who lived it out perfectly. Jesus is the only one who has lived out the will of God perfectly. So let me ask you, friends, Jesus sought the will of his Father. Whose will do you seek? Whose will do you seek? I once heard it said that there are basically two ways to live. It's thy will be done or my will be done. Small grammatical difference with eternal consequences. Whose will do you seek after? Well, I'm the one up here with the microphone. Let me go first. I seek after mine. A lot. A lot. I don't walk this out perfectly, and neither do you. None of us do. Constantly, I'm trying to put my own will ahead of God's. I'm looking at things in this book that I know to be true, and I'll go, no, nah, no, no, I know a better way, or I know a way to twist this or manipulate it to make it fit into my will, to make it do the thing that I want it to do. 
Jesus teaches us not only to pray, your will be done, but of course he also says, as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. So this means there's another question for us. How do we seek God's will? Now, I don't mean that in, in the sense that I know uh, many of us regularly will ask it, where it's a thing of, oh, I just want to know God's will for my life. So you think I, I, I put that question before you. How do you seek God's will? Some of you are going, yes, exactly. Exactly. How do I seek it? That's, that's great. Now we're getting to something that I really want to hear this morning because I really want to know how to seek the will of God in my life, like what, what city I should live in or if there's a relationship I should be in or who I should marry or what job I should go for or which shoes I should put on in the morning or which grocery store I should shop at. or all, How do I know the will of God and all these things? No, no, hang on. That's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Often when we speak about the will of God, we, we, we confuse it essentially with fortune-telling. We, we, we want to know the detail of the things that God has for us in the future. And let me tell you, in my experience, that, that rarely is how God does things. And the reason why, I think, is because God knows that as soon as he gives us those things, in most cases, not all, but then in those cases, at least with me, I don't have to feel faith for that anymore. When I, when I see that thing being revealed, when I know what that thing is, there's something inside of me that goes, oh, okay, well, that blank's been filled in. Now I don't need to trust him. Now I don't need to trust him. Next week, what are we looking at? Some of you know the next thing in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Oh, but we don't. I mean, I'm not going to preach next week's sermon now, but we, 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 we want the next 10 or 20 years of provision to be revealed before us. Don't we? Don't we? I know I do. So often, that's not the way that God works. So when I say, how do you seek the will of God, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, like, how do you know what the future is? God sometimes, and, oh, text message, I'm pretty popular. You hear that? Uh, actually not. Uh, how do we seek the will of God in our lives? How do we seek the will of God in our lives? What I'm referring to is what is your attitude as you seek the will of God? Jesus says for us to seek it as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to borrow from a theologian named A.W. Pink who describes how God's will is carried out in heaven. He says this, he says, as it is in heaven, the standard by which we are to measure our attempts at, God's, at doing God's will on earth is nothing less than the conduct of the saints and angels in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Listen to this. This is a long quote, but I find this really helpful. How is God's will done in heaven? Certainly it is not done reluctantly or sullenly, nor is it done hypocritically or pharisaically. We may be sure that it is executed neither tardily nor fitfully, neither partially nor fragmentarily. In the heavenly courts, God's will is performed gladly and joyfully. Heavenly adoration and obedience are rendered humbly and reverently. Glad, joyful, humble, reverent. That's what obedience looks like in heaven. We would do well to have our obedience here on earth resemble as it is in heaven. But that's so not how we're like. Our obedience so often looks very different. To that, we need to be helped in this. Even when we are obedient, so often we're reluctantly obedient 
or we're grumpily obedient or grumbling in our obedience. I remember when I was a kid when my mom would say, go clean your room. Sometimes I, did, I didn't want to, I still don't want to clean my room, to be honest with you. I don't like cleaning my room. Who, who, some, of, some of you are weird. Some of you really like cleaning your room. That's not me. I, I don't like cleaning my room. So when I was a kid, I would, well, mom's asked me to clean my room. I'd go clean my room, kind of grumbling as I'm doing, being obedient, cleaning my room. I would take my toys and throw them in my toy box. I'm not really happy about it. And kind of making my bed, but I wouldn't know why she'd tell me to clean my room. But I'm being obedient. As I, that's how we go through life with God so often. God says I shouldn't sleep around, and everybody else is sleeping around. I wish I could sleep around, but he tells me not to sleep around, so I better not, better not sleep around. But I'm being obedient. I should probably go to church. It's obedient, and it's a good thing to go to church and be around God's people, but there's a game or something else going on. I'd really rather go and do it. We, we grumble. We complain. This is the, the, the attitude of our hearts so often. Is that what obedience looks like in heaven? No, of course not. The saints, the angels of heaven... Quick to be glad and to be joyful and to respond in trust, also in humility and in reverence. When we pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's also asking God to help our hearts, to, to, to help our hearts have the right posture before him as we are obedient. Like we, we so need help in all of these things, don't we? And friends, look, I, I, I get it. I, I, I understand that like coming to church and hearing sermons about obedience, right, or, or reading even in the news, this has been in the news uh, quite a bit over the past few weeks of, of churches or schools that, you know, they go, they go big on obedience, but it seems to play out in some really, really horrible ways. And, and it, 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 um, look, it can go really wrong. I, I'm, I recognize that. It can go really wrong. But we would be foolish to just go, well, because of the potential for teaching around obedience for, for, or for God's people to take obedience seriously, we just, we just, let's just do away with that. Let's just do away with all that. No, we, we can't. We can't because Jesus doesn't do that. And Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But do you see where this sits in the Lord's Prayer? Jesus doesn't start with teaching us to pray for the will of God. That's not his starting point. What's his starting point? Our Father. And I think this is where this can so easily go astray, is if we're trying to understand what obedience looks like, what obedience to this God looks like, what God's perfect revealed will should look like in our lives, if we're trying to get our minds around that without first understanding who he is, and who we are in him through Christ, we're going to go off into some dangerous territory. Jesus doesn't do that. He starts with our Father. Pray then like this, our Father. Oh, okay. So knowing that if I've surrendered my life to Jesus, if I've received Christ by grace through faith, trusting in him, I'm a son or a daughter of God. And God is not just this distant rule maker, this distant authority. God is, is a deeply personal, gracious, merciful, tender, loving father. But not like any other father that I've ever known or any earthly experience of father that I've ever had. He's my father in heaven. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray this way, didn't he? 
He's, he's showing us right there who God is and who we are in him through Christ. And then it's coming on to your kingdom come, your will be done. So many times we try to understand what obedience to this God looks like while forgetting sonship, while forgetting adoption, while forgetting who we are as sons and daughters of God. We have to hold that first, who he is and who we are in him. If we don't, then it's just all going to be about rules. It's all going to be about trying to please this distant, impersonal authority somewhere up in the sky who just demands, require, uh, demands obedience from us, but we don't have a chance. No, 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 no. He's a loving father. He's a loving father, gracious, merciful, tender towards us. He gives us everything that we need in order to live this life. He gives us everything that we need. He doesn't just leave us to it and say good luck. He's with us as we seek to have his will be done in our lives and in our cities and on earth as it is in heaven. This is something that should amaze us. Dear church, this is something that should amaze us about God. When we come to him in all of our disobedience, when we come to him in all of our reluctance and, and, and our suspicion about why he requires obedience from us. He doesn't seize the moment to rub our noses in it. He doesn't take us and just cast us aside, saying, oh, how dare you question me, or how, how dare you question that command. He's so patient with us. He's so patient. Instead, you know what God does? is it, he, he loves us as if he sees us not through our own imperfections, but as though he sees us wrapped up in someone else's absolute perfection. He, he, he loves us as if he sees us not as filthy, sinful rebels, but as though he sees us as pure, faithful sons and sons and daughters. He loves us as if he sees us not hiding in our sin and shame, but as if he sees us hidden in Christ. This is how he is towards us, so kind so patient, so with us, so quick to offer enabling and empowering grace. His mercies are new every morning. So we can strive towards being an obedient people. Look, as a church, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to give you any illusions around this, thinking, oh, I come to Grace City Church because I never get, you know, means we never hear about God's commands. No, no, keep being with us. You will hear about it you will also hear about an empowering grace that is given by God that enables us to live holy lives. And when we get it wrong, which we so do, which we so do, I'm the chief of it, which we so do, he's quick to respond with grace. He's quick to respond with mercy. His fathering is so tender. He's so for us. Let me close by saying this about the will of God. The will of God in our lives and for our lives is always for our good, always. Even in his revealed will that we don't understand, even in the commands that we read about in scripture that we wrestle with, 
I'm not telling you, how dare you wrestle? No, no, look, I get it. There are things that we can wrestle with, but even the things that we wrestle with that we don't understand, it is for our good. The revealed will of God, the will of God is always for our good, and nowhere do we see that more than at the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to this about the will of God. This is what the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 53. He says, yet it was the will of of the Lord to crush him. Oh, that's strong language, isn't it? It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Speaking of Jesus, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, when he sees his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Isn't that wonderful? By the work of Jesus, it was, it was the will of God for Jesus, his son, to be crushed on the cross in our place and through that work to make many to be accounted righteous. And he, Jesus, shall bear their iniquities. How do I know that the will of God is for me? is for my good, you know it by looking at the cross. You know it by seeing Jesus hung there in your place. Not because Jesus came up with that idea on his own, he went there in obedience. It was the will of the Father for Jesus to go there. The will of God is always for you. And the cross of Christ is the greatest evidence of that.